There are two kinds of people in the insurance industry. Those who are captive and those who are free. This is the Agency Freedom Podcast. Captivity can go far beyond the companies you represent. It starts between your ears and its impact is felt in every corner of your business. We're all about helping agency principals and sales professionals reach your maximum potential and flex your freedom. If your goals are big enough, you're going to have to get uncomfortable to be able to reach them. Our team at RiskWell is living this out every single day. This show is where I share our successes, our failures, and everything I learn along the way. We deliver relevant, tactical, and actionable content from industry peers, innovative partners, and a variety of leaders from other business verticals. We're not holding anything back. There's no upsell, no guru pitch, and no fluff. It's time to unshackle yourself from captivity and make your freedom jump with the Agency Freedom Podcast. Let's go. Welcome back to the show, everybody. It's another episode of the Agency Freedom Podcast, where we help insurance professionals move from captivity to freedom. My guest for this episode is the man, the myth, the legend, the new author, Mr. Micah Salas. He hails from the great city of Austin, Texas, a leader of the Austin branch of the Christensen Group. I think that's the name, right? Christensen Agency? Did I say it right? Group? Christensen Group Insurance is the okay. name. Yeah, close There enough. you go, man. Micah, thanks for joining us, man. I really appreciate you uh, giving us some of your valuable time today. James, yeah, I appreciate you having me, man. Um, I think uh, we had exchanged some LinkedIn messages about a year ago, and things got lost in the shuffle, and then we reconnected, so it's good to find you here. 2022 was a very busy year, man, for for both of us, and we'll get into a lot of that for for your story in, in 22 and, and in previous years. You know, I first reached out to Micah, folks, because his content game is very strong. You know how LinkedIn goes, you know, one of your contacts likes or comments somebody else that you haven't met before, and suddenly their stuff starts popping up in your feed, and it was like, wait a second, I really like this guy. At the time, he was with Marsh, sorry to give away some of the story, spoiler alert, <laughs> used to be with Marsh, the biggest and baddest broker on the planet, bar none, biggest by a lot, sorry Aon, <laughs> sorry Brown and Brown, and all the other big boys, but Marsh is the big daddy by a mile, and Micah was a successful professional there on the production side, the sales side, so uh, I, I started paying close attention because I don't really know anybody who was active at Marsh at the time, and yeah, Micah's LinkedIn game is very strong, to say the least. So here we are a year later. I reached out to him and was like, hey, man, you've got it going on. Your LinkedIn game is on point. I like what I see. You know, air high five. Here, there we go. Appreciate it. And, uh, <laughs> and the rest is history, as they say. Yeah. So, dude, um, I heard you, you sat for an interview uh, with our friend David Carruthers on the Power Producers podcast with Mr. Josh Gurley as co-host. So for those of you that want even more of Micah when this episode is over, Go ahead and head over to uh, David's show there and get you some more Micah Solace in your life. For, uh, <laughs> for our purposes here, we're going to get into a little bit of backstory and kind of just dial it back uh, to you know, how you got to this point. Micah, just share with us, if you would, your reason for getting into the industry. Uh, I never want to take that for granted because it's always a, a good story. How did you find yourself in insurance? Did you intend to be here? Or was it kind of by accident, like seems most people found their way? In, and then, uh, you know, catch us up to a little bit more recent history. And we're going to dig into the Marsh stuff, dig into making the jump from Marsh to the Christensen group, and then probably talk a good bit about 
your approach to personal branding, your social game, and, and what you're doing there that seems to be going really well for you. But let's start with your background, man. Yeah. Well, like like you said, like most people got into insurance, not by choice, and kind of kicking and screaming, I guess, if you will, or kind of forced into it for financial reasons. But um, so I in college, I took a sales class in the business degree program I was going for, and we get introduced to people, and one of the companies was this company called Federated Insurance, and mm-hmm. went through the whole interview process. They interviewed everyone, and had to go, got down to the final step, and I, I had another job offer working for the federal government, claims de- Department of Veteran Affairs, nothing to do with sales <laughs> at all, but the base pay was a little bit higher, and it was, I didn't have to, try, you know, go away for a year to, to Minnesota, and I decided to take that instead, and the guy recruiting me was not happy to say the least, but kind of ended on a sour note. And anyways, quickly realized the federal government is not a place I ever want to work and left there after about a month, uh, got into the financial sector. Wow. Yeah. And a month. it was bad. It was, I was there. So, that went sour fast. So unorganized. I started looking in a month and then I was probably took me like three months to finally get out of there. Wow. And uh, then, yeah, I found myself at a financial services company doing inside sales and real excited. And then the 08, uh, fiasco collapse hit and um i was unemployed basically a couple months into that job so you know year out of college finally take my third job and did great at it liked it was working for a manufacturer was making peanuts nothing right living paycheck to paycheck bounds of checks basically and lo and behold this guy that i basically pissed off back in college calls me back and says hey man uh, would you want to grab coffee and i said sure well, he basically lays out the, you know, brochure in front of me and the starting pay is now basically double what it was back when I was in college two and a half years ago. And then it was double what I was making now. And, uh, the man signed me up. So that's how I, that's how I really got into insurance. I was kind of, I was broke and poor, and, and this kind of offered, offered an opportunity to put my life on a different course, you know, financially speaking. And I just said, Hey, this is worth it. And made the jump then. And that was basically 12 years ago. Um, it'll be this February. Mm. So yeah, that's, that's how I got into it. I, but I like to kind of follow that up with saying, I want to still be here about the money. Of course, the financial benefits are awesome, but a lot of cool things, you know, the freedom, I think it's just interesting. Commercial insurance to me is kind of interesting, uh, sometimes. And then different businesses, you get to work economy. I mean, it's just, a been a great industry. It's treated me well. It's been fun to work with the people I get to work with, and uh, definitely probably one of the best decisions it is to get there. So, no that that is very interesting stuff, man. I appreciate the background. It, it definitely helps me understand a little bit more about how you come to the the current era of things where I came into contact with you uh, about a year, year and a half ago. Federated has a reputation for being difficult to make it, but having absolutely phenomenal training and support where everybody who makes it at Fed drinks the Kool-Aid hard uh, and and goes in the direction that they want you to go. What was your experience like getting up to speed with a company like Federated that is very, very good at a small number of things? Their target market, I feel like, is very well defined uh, in the marketplace. What was your experience, uh, you know, learning the industry at a place like Federated? So, I mean, for me, it was, it went well because, um, I did the training program that was a year long, I went up to their headquarters and basically, yeah, you 
do five days a week, eight hours a day of learning insurance, right? So um, everything from policy language to spending time with underwriters to kind of seeing the operational side of things. So that was interesting. And it, it laid a really good foundation, but you, so you think you know a lot and you get out there in the real world <clears throat> selling, right? And then you realize, wow, I, there's a lot I don't know yet, but, but that kind of helps set you up. And then you're pretty much micromanaged, for lack of better words, when you build, get your territory. And um, had a great manager though, and, and that really helped a lot. Just kind of talk, and that was more the sales side of it. Like, here's what to say when you follow up. Here's how you cross sell. Here's how you address this situation or wedge out the incumbent. And, you know, so a lot of those things I'm, I'm extremely grateful for. Um, you're working a lot of hours those first six months to a year, probably 70, 80 hours a week. I'm not even exaggerating. And then it starts to really, then you get all that past that hump. And then it's like, wow, it becomes kind of, in a way, I kind of got bored because you have a defined territory defined set of prospects, you kind of know who you're going after and you, there's no flexibility, right? There's no, nothing outside of that world that you can really do. So yeah, I mean, if to summarize it, I would say it went well, it's just, I got bored. And then also I started to see some things that I didn't know, you know, being at what an independent agent could do. Primarily I could have a client for life. Cause I could say, Hey, you don't need, if your rates are going up with this company, I can look around for you, right? I could be that true kind of agent for you to work. Obviously with a captive company, you, you got that one option and I, 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 that just never sat well with me. I'm not, and I'm not bad mouthing captive companies. I just, just for me personally, that was, I couldn't drink the Kool-Aid fully because I couldn't look a client in the eye I felt and be like, Hey, don't talk with that other agent. You shouldn't talk, you know, not saying I was saying that, but it's still every renewal. You're kind of worried. And it's like, this, this is all I can do for you is this option, you know? And I know insurance is more than just premiums, but still it's, that's a big chunk of your overall cost of risk. And if you got one option to bring to the table, you're kind of handcuffed. Yep. That was the reason I started exploring and looking at leaving. I was in the field for about two and a half years, not quite two and a half, it's maybe two, two full years, but hmm. um, when I had left, so. So how did the Marsh thing happen? Uh, did you go straight from Fed to Marsh or was there something in between? I. I you know, full confession, I don't have your LinkedIn pulled up right now or memorized or anything. No, no, it's okay. The Marsh thing happened. I was looking just at agencies, Googling things, and uh, kind of a funny story. Actually, I pulled up the AM Best. They had the list of the top brokers in the world. Marsh is number one. <laughs> and so I, at that time, I'm kind of naive. I don't know what, I mean, all I knew is federated, right? So I, I just see, okay, bigger agency, the better. And I just started going on the list, calling you know, Hub, Marsh, all the ones at the top 10. And um, had stumbled into this guy in, the, in Milwaukee, which is the area I was living. And I wanted to move to Texas, to Houston. Right? I didn't know anybody. Anyway, so um, he gave me some advice. He's like, you don't want to work at Marsh per se. What you probably want to work at is Marsh McClendon Agency, more the mid-market space. I think it's going to be a better fit. But he kind of gave me that advice. So I kind of stayed away from then at that point, the super big, you know, the Marsh Aon national accounts. Correct. Yeah. yeah. Uh, more mid market. And, um, but yeah, anyways, put a cold email into the HR guy down in Houston and, um, he got back to me. I flew down, took the interview, got the job off from the spot and he said, yes. And then my wife and I basically moved to Houston about 90 days later, moved down to Houston sight on scene. Essentially I flew there once didn't know anybody but my sister and that was it. So that's kind of how I got into Marsh. Man, I love it. So the uh, joining the biggest insurance brokerage in the world, 
what was that experience like, man? You know, it is so transformatively different from the experience that virtually everybody listening to this podcast has. Most folks have never been at a huge national broker. A few have, you know, maybe 10, 15% know something other than uh, a locally owned agency. But I know a lot of folks are interested just to hear your take on what it's like being a part of the big dog. Yeah, I'd say this. I'd say Marsh is quite a bit different than Marsh McLennan Agency uh, from the side of things where Marsh McLennan Agency is acquiring a lot of those former super regionals, right? That were once probably independents. I have that culture a little bit more yeah. uh, more relatable to, to our audience. So I didn't quite have the big Marsh feel, but it was kind of blending. As I joined in 2014 and as you know, I met Marsh McLennan Agency is kind of now grown to be like the top, you know, a top 10 agency just in itself within Marsh. Um, so what it was like, I mean, it was, you know, it was just, uh, it was, I, I had nothing bad to say about it. First of all, uh, they treated me well. They take care of their people pretty well. If, you know, if you're doing a good job, I think is pretty corporate right? Uh, very, you know, try to be by the book kind of structured, um, all, all the, uh, you know, you name what you see from, a the, the fortune 500 companies, you know, whether it be training on diversity, all that kind of stuff and not against it, but I'm just saying that it was kind of very much like that, right? Like, uh, you're very corporate, very corporate. Yep. So I don't think, you know, I think, uh, when it came to doing the LinkedIn stuff, for example, a lot of people are like, Hey, Marsh lets you do that. And I, I didn't even think to ask, I guess. <laughs> so I just started doing it and they never really complained. I got our, Oh, slapped on the wrist one time for a, a word I said in a post. But other than that, they never actually complained and, and actually let me speak at kind of a regional. I was speaking at a regional sales meeting talking about using LinkedIn back in 2019. So my experience was actually not, not too bad. It was just very corporate-y. And yeah, I mean, that's that's probably the best way to put it. But I mean, it's in terms of resources, they have a lot of those resources that, that we talk about in-house, I guess you could say. However, a lot of that is still designated for their larger thing. When it comes down to it, a lot of the middle market companies I'm talking to, or even the you know, lower middle market, didn't qualify for some of those resources and some of that stuff. So it wasn't like, you know, we're just offering all that to everybody. You know, sure, certainly there's there's producers there that are talking about it, and it's kind of probably not delivering. You know, is what I kind of came to realize. So. And I'm guessing those are your traditional value add stuff for a middle market account where you, you know, loss control and claims management and other kind of value add advisory services that are built into the fees that they pay stuff like that. Or is there, you know, outside of the box solutions? No. Yeah. The typical value add things you're going to get loss control, uh, you know, they have, but they have some pretty cool analytical tools. I mean, but again, that stuff was more going to be reserved for large, large accounts that that most of us aren't even really talking to year in and year out, right? You might stumble into those things. I'm talking like multi-million dollar premium accounts that, and we're talking uh, analytical tools and forecasting and uh, even forensic accounting stuff. But again, that's usually going to be a feed to the client as well. So yeah. Yep. Yeah. Makes sense. So your role there was a producer. Uh, you were outside in the field making stuff happen, right? Uh, production out of Houston to start and then moved over to Austin here. But yeah, it was a commercial insurance producer. 
So in Houston, oil and gas is huge. The entire, I feel like the whole Houston ecosystem pivots on the fulcrum of the energy <laughs> industry. Uh, were you there or were you focusing in other verticals? Yeah, uh, you know, it's, it's funny, coming from Wisconsin and being a federated, when I thought oil and gas, what I was thinking was hauling oil and, uh, you know, basically fuel marketers, you know, gas stations that provide gas stations and homes with heating fuel and construction fuel. Yep. And then I realized quickly that oil and gas meant this whole different world down here in Houston. I, again, I'm, I wasn't from Texas. So um, I learned very quickly. We had some really good, that's the other thing I'll say about working for like a marsh. So there, there, there's a lot of knowledgeable people in those offices that you can, if you can pick their brain and you can learn a lot, right? From uh, the service staff and the AEs and stuff like that and the marketing people. So I, I learned a lot on the oil and gas segment. I just never, I never really focused much on it. I picked up a couple of clients here and there, but like I'm talking downhole drilling and, and the upstream and the downstream. Now midstream, I did a ton of that. So basically a lot of construction and a lot of midstream construction. Uh, so the guys servicing the pipelines, drilling, you know, for pipeline drilling, natural gas stuff, a lot of environmental stuff. Um, but yeah, I man, Houston is every commercial insurance agent's dream. <laughs> yep. I would say from a from a prospect that there is so much business there. It's so big. There the premiums are relatively high. There's just a lot, a lot of prospects there. Yep. Especially you know with the toys that you had to play with them. Sure. You know it is. There's never uh, never any shortage for quality prospects to to sink your teeth into. You know if you've got an empty pipeline, it's a hundred percent your fault. Absolutely. Absolutely. So um, I still I still do. So what happened? Over there, uh, but- so Marsha, Marsh McClendon Agency, you were there for a while. Um, what caused you to look at the horizon and start to ask yourself, what else is out there? What's more? Because a lot of folks have never been in a situation where, you know, working for a, a huge agency uh, and going through the process of, I want something more or something different. What was that like for you when you started to recognize uh, that some, something was missing from your experience and what you wanted in your career? So I would say a couple of years in, actually, I'd get calls from recruiters and I'd have friends call, you know, just asking like, Hey, I'm looking at leaving federated or whatever. And what's your, what's your experience been like? And I would always say, you know, if I could do it over again, what I would do is actually not go to the biggest gorilla out there. I would find either a, I'd find a, a decent sized agency or a smaller agency, you know, something privately owned or that offered me equity that maybe a little bit higher splits, um, a little bit more of a say-so in how I wanted to things to go around, you know, my clients. And it, that was, that's basically what I told people. And I, the problem was my book was, was growing and I <laughs> uh, had a t- tough, tough time following my own advice. Right. So I talked with recruiters and then I got past, you start to get past certain levels and it's like, man, now I've got to start just the thought of starting over sucks. Right. And so that went on for a couple of years in my head. And then I kind of was getting to that point where I was to the point of no return, essentially. And uh, COVID hit and there was some things, just the whole, I'm trying to think of the best way to say this. I just said, who do I want to align with more uh, privately owned kind of model, you know, or a big corporate behemoth model. And I, I felt intrinsically better aligned with the path I chose which is what I did a year ago. So that's the best way I could put it, you know, without probably getting into some certain things that made me, you know, question things, but. 
you know, and that's neither here nor there. I'm never never looking to bait someone into, you know, libel or slander or anything that might uh, get someone in trouble. I, I think the point is well made that it was a fit. It was a culture thing that you were looking for the kind of opportunity that the, you know, MMA wasn't necessarily going to be willing to give you at this point in your career. So you pivoted to a different direction. How did the, the Christensen Group Insurance come along? Was that a headhunter thing or did you find them on your own? That was a total random thing, actually. So my brother-in-law works at a private equity firm up in Minneapolis in the cities. Uh, his agency is the Christensen Group. He was having a beer with, with our CFO and our president. Um, and basically, I don't know how my name came up, but it did. I think I told Scott, my brother-in-law, like, hey, you know, I shared with him, hey, if I could do it over again, this is what I would do. And anyways, he was talking with the Christian State group and they said, you know, we call them. So they reached out. I chatted with him. I, I had no intention of leaving. And he's like, well, let me put together kind of a performa and talk through some things with you. And they did that. And it looked really, really good. I was actually, that was the closest I was to ever leaving. And then I said, no, thanks. I was too scared to start over. And again, I just wasn't quite ready. This was probably March of 2020. And then by August, I said, you know what? Screw it. It's now or never. I'm going to do it. And I, I did it. So uh, I had my wife, you know, when my wife, Tori, had to get the approval <laughs> because, you know, she's, Smart man. yeah, I mean, of course, any decision you want to make together like that, but. Oh yeah. It's a big decision, right? So uh, what's, when she said, when she felt okay with it and at peace about it, I was like, all right, well, if you are, then, then let's do it. Uh, if, if you're like me, Micah, you probably bring your bride into the deliberations as early as possible. You know, once, uh, for the way that we do things, the moment that an idea is in my head for longer than a couple of minutes, if I give it any real consideration, I'm going to bounce it off Allison and just say, hey, I'm noodling on this. Don't know what I'm going to do. You have any thoughts? What's your uh, what's your gut reaction on X Y Z? Because if I get to the end of my deliberations or in the middle somewhere and be like, "Hey, Allison, I've been thinking about this for a month or two. And then I mean, I don't know how it's like for for you guys, but I almost feel like I'm the spokesperson for the idea then, and it's like I come to the conversation, you know, propping up the idea and saying, "I think I want to do this," and then you find yourself defending it to your spouse when you haven't even fully made the decision yourself yet. So. <laughs> How did that conversation go? How did the deliberation go? Because, I mean, MMA is a, a quality operation. Christensen Group obviously won you away from that, mm -hmm. so I'm sure they are as well. What were some of the things that you were thinking about, you know, internally as in deliberating the, knowing what I've seen from you on, on social and, and whatnot? I imagine you probably had some kind of pro-con thing going on, right? Where you, you list it out or do a SWOT analysis or something like that? Yeah. So I, my biggest thing with starting over always was the timeline to get back to, you know, I kind of ran a side by side. If I keep performing how I'm performing at, at MMA, I have this amount of growth and keep getting these bonuses, et cetera. My book keeps growing. I'm already up here. And if I start over, I have to get back to, just to get back to break even. Even if I get higher splits or equity, what's that going to take break even? Is that going to be a 10 year process? You know, so that was my biggest thing always on just the financial side of it. And then I knew there was the point where they kind of cross, right? Where this option out here kind of supersedes the Marsh option and then it all works out. But that, that horizon was just too long at most of the time. Like when I thought about it through, I looked at a couple other options over the years and just, just never could feel comfortable. So 
the the factors for me one is the service side of things uh i had a lot of different account managers i could see a lot of burnout happening um the model here was hey you have one account manager and uh, that's going to be your go-to person now there might be some rare exceptions i really like that model i also like the fact that my team we are 100 percent employee owned so actually every single person that my clients work with i work with is ownership in the company which is a pretty unique model but that kind of gave me that equity piece that without actually having to fully do what you did right and i i, I thought about that route starting the own agency doing that but i'm not much of an operations guy from like a technical and the software so i just it was kind of overwhelming for me to think about all that stuff and i said am i really that passionate about if i want to start my own agency yeah <laughs> i came to the conclusion probably not right it's not for everyone to start your own actually yeah so i i give you a lot of credit for that you know like i don't know how you kind of got to that point i you know i'd love to hear that as well yeah man but so i would just say this and then and then i'll let you chime in because i'd like to hear kind of how you got to that point but it was that service side of it um being surrounded by a strong team uh having a cultural fit where it was very autonomous like hey we're micromanaging you i could kind of see marsh was get, kind of getting a little bit that way we're going to be kind of watched a little bit closely not as bad as i've heard at some other large companies that are really bad but i could kind of see it going that route and then the financial piece what they did really well is just they made it they made the runway extremely almost like a no-brainer like i can make the jump and not even take a dip in income because of the the the, the ramp that they created for me financially speaking and uh how they paid you know missions on top of a salary from year one and uh the esop component just it made it was a, i mean my life at age 50 or 60 just with that equity component is just way different than what it looked like at at mma so those are kind of all the factors in my mind so i kind of it was kind of that that sweet spot for me like i could leave the big big dog i didn't have to go start my own thing and deal with all the that other stuff that comes with starting an agency and it was kind of that middle ground where it's like hey i have some equity yeah you know live a decent life be comfortable and and then have free time to do things like write books and all the other stuff so <laughs> oh we're gonna get to the book thing don't you worry no that that is definitely yeah, yeah. it you know my journey to the independent world mostly came out of frustration of getting my hand slapped for having original ideas and thoughts and you know sales and marketing is an affinity and appreciation for really good sales and marketing i think is something you and i both probably have lots of it is the ability the freedom to do what i want when i want how i want in the best way that i think needs to happen to serve the client to win the deal to grow revenue and ultimately be happier and more successful uh, in in the work side of life and I was a farmer's agent, uh, agency owner for about six years, and just kind of reached the end of the road with them. And it was all silly things. It was all things that were avoidable. If they would have just given me a little bit more autonomy to do things, you know, day-to-day operational-wise my way, I just, I stopped believing in that way of doing things. Uh, I came to understand, probably similar to what you had at Federated, that in order for the captive or exclusive distribution model to work, the carrier really needs to do a good job of creating good little well-behaved robots. And that's not me. That's it's obviously not you. That's pretty clear. Sure. But it, it, was, it was just the sort of thing of waking up one day and realizing, I'm never going to be a good fit 
for what they're looking for. I'm not a good little soldier who's going to wear the company logo and, you know, be a good little boy and do as I'm told. That's, that's just not me. Let's, let's be real. <laughs> I, I got in trouble for being an individual. Um, I went out and got my own domain. They didn't like that. I had my own email address outside of their system. They didn't like that. I ran my own marketing. They didn't like that. I got my own logo designed. Oh, I went and hired a graphic designer and built a brand kit and did my own thing and didn't show their logo on anything. Yeah. Unless you got a deck page from me, you wouldn't have known I was a farmer's agent. And the deck page obviously was them. Everything else was me. And they hated that. <laughs> um, I, I, got, I got in trouble a dozen times over a year and a half. And as silly as it sounds, uh, and I know the folks that listen to this podcast have heard this, but I don't mind saying it again because it's been a while. The straw that broke the camel's back was in 20, uh, 2018. We had an absolutely fantastic year uh, in the qualification period for a really big trip. It was a big award. Uh, it, it meant a lot to me at the time. Uh, I still care about trophies and stuff, but not nearly as much as I did back then. One of my favorite ways of keeping score is the impact that we have on our team members and our clients. That's my favorite way of keeping score. And this is a sidetrack for just a second. Keeping score with dollars, I think is a losing idea. I think it's a terrible idea for living your life because somebody always has more dollars than you. And no amount of dollars will ever make the human heart happy. We're built for more than that. Uh, we're built for greater significance than, than money, the accumulation of possessions and material things. If I have a nice watch, I want another one. If I have a really nice truck, I want two trucks. <laughs> if I have a house, well, how about a lake house? How about a house in the mountains? How about investment property? Like the accumulation of material stuff, the, the more successful I get, the more I realize, wait a second, this crap is never going to make me happy. Yeah. The accumulation of things is a terrible way of keeping score in my mind. So I agree. Anyways, sorry. I sidetracked for a second. That, I don't know what I was doing with that other than just like explaining kind of my value prop, the way that I, I value just life probably. Yeah. But we, we had, <laughs> we, it sounds so silly and trivial now. I, I'm almost embarrassed to share this story because it seems so superficial, but we had done all the qualifications for this award and it, it was a trip. I forget where it was. it was. I think it was like Napa Valley or something really nice. And we lost out on the trip on a really, really dumb technicality. Um, they had one of their little third or fourth or fifth items for qualification was you had to sell a certain amount of life insurance and have like enforced premium of such and such dollars. And they had a look back period of 24 months. And one of our clients from literally 23 months before, we get to like a week away from the end of the qualification period and a life policy lapsed oh. or a, a, a bank problem. It was just a simple EFT thing. And it lapsed and it was reinstated like two weeks after uh, the qualification period ended. It was no big deal at all. They took the award away. I didn't qualify for the award because of this very small technicality and nobody would help me out. We absolutely crushed it on production, on every other metric for that award. And they were basically like, oh, I'm sorry, you didn't qualify. <laughs> I was like, what do, you, what do you mean I didn't qualify? Like, yeah. come on. Yeah. And they're just like, oh. Well, your life numbers, the, you missed it by 0 .08. I was like, come on, for God's sake. Like that was 
23 months ago and we had literally like double the production. Oh man. And I was already mad. I was already just disillusioned and unhappy. That was the, you know what, screw you guys moment where it's like, I, I just don't belong here. I don't want to work where a company that points to the rule book like corporate does. That's what corporate does. It's not a farmer's problem. They didn't do anything wrong. Sure. They followed the rules. They didn't, they, didn't, they didn't do anything wrong. It's as simple as that. They just did what they did. You know, it's like the old proverb of the, uh, of the mouse and the snake crossing the river, you know, where the snake's like, oh, dude, I'm sorry I bit you. I'm a snake. What did you expect? It's like, it's what corporate does. They're corporate, you know? So <laughs> yeah. don't get yeah. mad at corporate for being corporate. <laughs> well, exactly. It's like, do something about it, which you did, right? You, you spun yeah. off and yeah. you said, hey, I'm not going to complain about it. And that's kind of how I feel with, with Marsh or when people ask me about Federated. I don't talk bad about them. It just is what it is. And, and that's a very good fit for certain people. Their experience is probably different. But for me, I was like, this isn't quite aligned with me. And uh, yeah. I want to find something that is. I have to ask you, and I want to give you props. Your name of your agency, Riskwell, is probably the best, I would say, in my opinion, the best agency name or the coolest agency name that I have probably come across maybe there's other ones out there that i don't know about but i really like it and i like the the branding side of it so i just want to give you props on that and yeah how did you think of risk well thanks man it it was a process and i i tell the story a little bit in the book uh i've already sent to the publisher it's going to come out um sometime late q1 awesome. you beat me to market so congrats on that <laughs> we're going to talk about the book here in a little bit uh, I see you asking me two questions in a row on my own show, by the way. Sorry, That's not I'm lost sorry. on me. Well, well played. Well played. Just curiosity, I love it. man. Just curiosity. Um, yeah, no, I, I love it. This is really just a dialogue that the, uh, the listening audience gets to, you know, sit in on. It's kind of like a black box theater, which, you know, that, you know, the conversation kind of like the David Letterman series on Netflix where he's just sitting down. I think it's called my, uh, my next guest needs no introduction. Yep. Yep. But, uh, the name for me, there was, there was three rules for the name. I have to make fun of myself first, very briefly. The first name for the independent agency was James Jenkins and Associates Insurance and Risk Management. And the, the web address, Jade, was <laughs> awful, man. It was so bad. I, I just cringe when I think about it. Because uh, up until about six months ago, we still had certain things we were required just because of the way that Microsoft and other stuff holds on to certain names that you launch things with. Yep. So we still had J-J-A-I-R-M on different monikers. And... Every time I saw that, it just made me cringe a little bit. But the, the rule for the rebrand was very simple. Rule number one, it cannot have the word insurance in it anywhere. Because the moment you say insurance, people just throw you in a bucket and you never leave that bucket in their brain. Yep. Uh, so it couldn't have the word insurance at all. And I had read uh, the book by Phil Knight, Shoe Dog. Oh, great book. Um, back Favorite book. Oh my gosh, I love book. that book. Yeah, it's amazing. That that book is amazing. It is. If they made a movie out of that book, I would watch that movie once a month forever. That, I agree. That book, the way that he describes the whole process of crafting the brand of Nike, the way like starting out as Tiger Shoes, the the whole like evolution of getting to Nike, the Greek god of victory, goddess of victory, that whole part, it was so inspirational. It was like we were still JJAIRM at that point. It was just tragic honestly <laughs> you're losing sleep probably like, I, I'm, I'm, over it. no it, honest to god like reading the book shoe dog is definitely a big part of where the name risk well came from because i decided it had to be eight 
letters or less. And the third one was it had to have such and such dot com available, like either for purchase or go out to GoDaddy and do it myself. Um, the it, we had the eight letters thing because um, I needed to be just very easy off the tongue. We almost did risk vantage as in like a combination of advantage and like a vantage point, like climbing a hilltop so you can see a long way and have a good perspective on things. Risk Vantage was the runner up, okay. but Risk Well won, and I'm, I'm happy it did. I, it's nice that you say that. I know I'm totally biased and it's ridiculous that I even say this out loud because it's my brand, but I think so too. I think Risk Well is one of the best names in the industry. It's cool. Uh, just from, it's easy. Yeah. And it has so many different applications. You know, life is risky, risk well is our trademarked tagline. But there's so many different things like life is risky. Okay, trucking is risky. Pool contract, you know, pools are risky. Like you can throw in X is risky, risk well. And the marketing campaign creates itself in three seconds. So. Absolutely. Um, Create some curiosity, yeah. I'm sure, once you, once you drop it on people too. So no, it's, it's great, yeah. man. I really like it. Cool story. Great book. Thanks for everyone uh, listening. Go get the book. <laughs> yeah. Shoe Dog by Phil Knight. Hands down. Top 10. Amazing. Of any book I've ever read. And I, I'm a reader. You are too. I know from what you've said on, on social. Shoe Dog is definitely top 10. So I'm going to yeah. pass it back to you, Mr. Ask Me Two Questions in a Row. I'm going to use the little swoosh sound effect here to <laughs> signify a transition in uh, the conversation. You wrote a book and it's pretty good. I'm surprised at, uh, at how good it is. It's, <laughs> it's short. It's relevant. Yep. You, you never know. You never know how somebody is, you know, with, with the book, you know, it's like re- reading a blog from someone, you know, mo- the general public is just not very good at writing blogs. It's not compelling. Like the, the way that they structure words, you know, kind of reads like a high school essay. And then you come across someone like you, you know, someone like Steven Sedlak, and we had a, a conversation with him I recorded yesterday. He wrote a book, had a lot of success with it. Yeah. Uh, some folks are just good at expressing themselves with the written word, and, and that's you, man. How did it come about? How did you decide, you know what, I'm going to write a book, and what was that process like for you? Uh, I, it was never on my to-do list or a goal list necessarily. It, it, the way it happened is, this is kind of interesting, you know Ryan Hanley at, at Rogue Risk? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he had, he had mm-hmm. me on his podcast. Close pod- friend of mine, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. he had me on his podcast, gosh, this was 2020? I don't even know when it was. Anyways, I put out a LinkedIn series called Five Strategies to Beat the Hard Insurance Market. It was a five-part video series. And after that, he reached out. I was like, I love this video series. It's awesome. Keep on the podcast. And um, so that was in 2020. And I didn't, I, I didn't think much more about it. But then about a year later, as I was leaving Marsh, um, I was kind of thinking of just, you know, I always think of different ways to, to connect with buyers and, and prospects. And so I put together a PowerPoint called Five Strategies to Beat the to beat the insurance market or the hard market. But then I was like, no, nah, I want to make it more general as you five strategies to win the insurance game. Cause I use that word insurance game with buyers all the time and clients and pro- or prospects. That's kind of one of my go-to ways of kind of just analogies. Right. And so I created this PowerPoint, never used it, never showed it to anybody. And then this is crazy, but I was just sitting around, this was last Christmas of 2021. And I was, I had a, some downtime and I was like, I want to start writing. And then I got in there, literally probably knocked it out and like, a day because the goal was to be short, sweet. I already in my mind kind of knew the, the direction I wanted to go, but my target audience was business owners, right? It wasn't to agents or anyone like that. I um, mean, even though I think they'll get a ton of value out of it if they want to read it, but 
that was who it was written for. And I knew I want to keep it short because most business owners I talk to don't really want to read books on insurance or have time to. <laughs> so, uh, most, was, I think you're being generous. Yeah. Yeah. So that was kind of the goal. 99.8. Exactly. Oh, exactly. And then, and the whole reason for creating was, cause I see these, you could probably test. We all see the same problem, right? In that very first meeting with a prospect, it's like, I can't get quotes. Uh, every time I try quoting, this is blocked or this agent doesn't come back after investing all this time with me. And you kind of hear the same hangups every, you know, it's like, why does this happen? Why? And so anyways, I was like, you know what? I'm going to, yep. These people can use help, right? And uh, anyways, wrote this document and I sat on it. And then I joined a networking group. And within that group, there happened to be a guy that said, hey, we should grab coffee. He said, sure. And he was a, he's a book writer. And uh, not really a book writer. He's an editor, copywriter guy. And so I was like, hey, man, I wrote this book. I'd love to have your opinion. I've been sitting on it for like five months. It's in my you know Word doc. And um just want to get your thoughts on it. I'm like, I've read it by a couple of people, peers and friends, and they thought it was good and I should publish it. And I just want to know your thoughts. He comes back. He's like, man, this was actually really good. But he's like, I think you're assuming a bunch of stuff and I think it can be tweaked a little bit. And he's like, if you want, want to work together, I can kind of edit it for you. Make some suggestions on how you can revise it. So anyways, fast forward, that process started in like June. We worked together back and forth going off of my original document and he wanted to make it a little bit longer, so I was trying to add more to it without making it too long. And then we got to this, then we got to the final point. And uh, oh, what is that? Oh, is that your order copy? Yeah, I just ordered it just now. Yeah. Oh, awesome. Sorry, hey, you're this describing it. Like it and I'm, like, I'm like, wait a second. <laughs> no, I've seen bits and pieces of it, but I haven't actually done it. So I, I totally rudely interrupted you. Sorry. You have a a, a writing assistant, an editor. And he says, hey, let me help you do this thing. And, and then what? I, I didn't, no. I don't know why I did it. That was rude. Sorry. Oh, no, 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 it's totally fine. For those of you that are wondering what I just did, I just ordered a copy of Micah's book on Amazon. It took less than 30 seconds and you should do the same. Thank you. I appreciate the donation. <laughs> uh, yeah. So that's, that's uh, how it came to be. You know, we, the editing process of the back and forth, that was kind of, it was kind of fun because you're actually talking to someone that has no clue about insurance. Like, and it was helpful because we can get so wrapped up in our mind of, you know, we think we take things for granted that we think people know and they just, they don't even understand the basics of insurance. Right. And so having that editor that I worked with that had no clue about insurance, yeah. you know, um, was really helpful because then I had to try to ex working with him to how to explain things in a really layman's way, um, of doing it. And, uh, so it was a good learning experience. It was good for him. He wanted to start a book publishing company. His name's Phil Mandel. But he started, I was his first book he published. Um, he's writing his own book right now. Um, so it was a fun experience all around. And um, yeah, I was, I was happy with the finished product, man. I think, I think it's going to be a good educational tool for business owners. And hopefully, like I say, the goal of the book is to instill confidence in buyers and just not to make them experts, but to make them feel confident that their agent's taken care of. And if they're not, give them tools to find someone who will. So, I love it. That is yep. precisely the inspiration that I'm bringing into my second book that will be designed for the insured. The first one's designed for you know folks in the industry, my peers and colleagues. The second book is 100% designed for the insured, you know, the prospect and the client and whatnot. I got to ask uh, what your plan is from a sales and a marketing perspective. My head is swimming, like imagining all the different ways that you can deploy this thing in the marketplace that immediately provide you automatic prestige, 
and credibility at the beginning of a conversation where you don't have to say a single word about Mr. Mrs. Prospect. I just want you to know I'm very good at the practice of insurance. Like you (laughs) don't really have to do any of that when you literally have a book with your name on it that you can hand to them or mail to them ahead of time as a, you know, grease in the skid sort of thing. Where, where's your head at from a sales and marketing perspective of using the book as a prop? Yeah. Um, great question and something I've thought a lot about. Uh, you know, I, I, I'm just using LinkedIn to push it right now. I'm not necessarily trying to get people from New York or Wisconsin giving me a call and say, hey, Mike, I can handle our insurance, unless it's a big, you know, big client that's worth it. But I think a lot of this, those kind of people will probably be smaller companies that just maybe want to be a good fit. And I hope it helps those people. But where I look at using it more of is one is speaking engagements, right? And not insurance speaking. I'm talking AGC of Austin, right? Needs a speaker at a lunch. And maybe someone at my gets a copy of my book and it can fit to a 30 minute format like that. Like it's really easy to talk about it. I think buyers can have a lot of good nuggets to take away from a 30 minute conversation, not about technicalities, but about how to approach insurance. So that's one is I think speaking in, in networking groups and then associations. The second way I think is just like you said, just creating authority in people's you know, positioning in, in, in people's mind is separating myself from competition, but like leaving it as drop-offs and just now with Amazon, it's put a little note on there. So when I started doing in December, I think it was, yeah, mid-December, anytime I had a good conversation that just kind of ended like, okay, we're happy with our agent. We don't want to meet with you, but well, let's stay in touch. Or maybe it was like, hey, I'd possibly be open in May. So those are kind of two mindsets I'm talking about here. I said, you know what? Mm-hmm. Great conversation. I wrote up a book. I'd love to send it to you as a gift. It just helps people buy insurance a little bit better, I think. And I'd love to send it to you. And people are like, oh, that'd be awesome. You know, and I never had anyone be like, no, don't send it. So I sent out, I think, 10 already of those. And I'm really excited, looking forward to the feedback now kind of, and, and I imagine a lot more than 10 will be sent a month. Maybe, maybe it'll be 10 a month. I don't know. I'm not just going to send it to everybody, but I think those good warm conversations and then drop-ins around the Austin area. You know, they're just convenient. I kind of made a list of about 50 accounts the other day. That I was like, you know what? I don't care who they're with, whatever. I'm not even going to bring up insurance. I'm just going to go by, say, hey, wrote a book. I've seen this help a lot of people. Want to share with you. You know, not a non-salesy approach on, on it as well. So it, it really allows you kind of give something versus asking for something, I think, which is pretty cool. And uh, I said the last component of it, then I think um, in terms of marketing side, I thought it would be people getting into finance specifically. What I found, it's, and you've probably seen this too, James, there's a bunch of like CFOs that even hire sophisticated companies you know, that, that don't know anything about insurance. And I thought about trying to get this book in the hands of college or university of people in a risk management program or people who will eventually be buyers of insurance or, or finance associations, right? For CFOs and some of that. I thought it could be, you know, Talking to CPAs, going to do a CPA firm, just saying, hey, you know, you want me to give a lunch talk? So that's kind of all the different ways I've thought of, of really using it as a tool. Love it. Yeah. Now, it's, I knew just from the way that you approach things, you know, being methodical, being very intentional uh, with your thought process, being, you know, tactical the way that you are, there had to be, you know, 12 different ways to deploy that thing uh, for effective, beneficial use in the marketplace. So not at all surprised there, man. Now, um, as we uh, you know, proceed to the end of this conversation, is there anything we missed that you wanted to talk about? Any question I didn't ask that I should have, or really anything on your mind at all? You know, the mic is yours. No, I think uh, yeah, 
I guess I'll ask you a question. <laughs> How do you think, you know, all this craze around um, chat GDP or whatever is chat GD, whatever. GPT. It's kind of, yep. everyone's been posting on it. I think it's just interesting from a, like from a writing copyright, speaking of books, you know, I wonder how it'll yeah. play into the marketing side of insurance. And I, I don't know if it even has a fit in terms of talking like client facing marketing, you know, what, what are your thoughts around it? Cause I, I kind of just, I don't really have any concrete thoughts. I've just kind of been thinking in my own mind, how could yeah. this be used? But I put in like, what is business insurance out there and stuff just from a client side? Like, Hey, if I had that question, it, it gives some, I mean, it answers some pretty good coverage questions. Now, when I try getting into forms yep. and asking about are my rates competitive, it would be like, well, you need to talk with a local agent, you know, like, so I don't think it can ever yep. obviously replace us. I just think in our industry, I mean, I think some industries could be more scared, but I'm curious to see kind of what your thoughts are on, on how that might impact the insurance space. You know, one of the things that I did when I was playing around with it much longer than I should <laughs> have been playing around with it. Granted, it was it was after hours. My wife was already asleep. It was like a Thursday night a couple of weeks ago or something. I forget exactly when it was. Sometime between Christmas and New Year's, I was just, you know, dinking around in my home office. And, you know, I asked it. I think my exact input was, write me a 500-word blog post about business insurance uh, with a fun and lighthearted tone yeah. and that's literally all i said and the blog that it wrote i'm like oh dang like <laughs> that's good if you if you tell it more detail like if your inputs are more specific the outputs are a lot more specific and you know i think it's it's like any other disruptor it's like insuretech it's like the direct writers it's like you know any any other thing that you want to throw in oh my gosh it's the end of the independent agent I don't know. I no, don't, I don't yeah. subscribe to any of that nonsense. But I think it really is an inflection point. It's a culling of the herd for the bottom 20%. And I don't have any problem at all offending the bottom 20% because none of them listen to this podcast. <laughs> I always want to be clear. When I say something that sounds offensive or it sounds like elitist or egalitarian or anything, I always want to be really clear. Freedom Jumper, I'm not talking to you. Listener to this podcast, I'm not talking to you. Because just for the fact that you're listening to an industry podcast, that you are trying to better yourself, you're trying to become the best version of who you are, I'm automatically not talking about you. I'm talking about the mediocre bottom 20% who isn't really good or, or isn't really great at anything. They're yeah. just good enough at enough things to not get themselves fired by their clients, by their employer. So for those folks, stuff like ChatGPT should be terrifying. Because the bottom 20% is the first to go. Yep. Because they're the ones that find themselves out of a job because they got replaced by AI, by machine learning, uh, by these kinds of you know predictive analytics platforms. The bottom 20% is the most vulnerable to innovation. That's my take of the whole thing. Folks like you and I that are always pushing the envelope, that are always striving to be better, than we were a month ago, a quarter ago, a year ago, all we see is opportunity. All we see is scale. All we see is power. It's force multiplier. Yeah, it's like, how can I use this to be better at what I do, to get more production out of fewer hours? And it's like, well, holy crap, man. You take something like a lately.ai uh, that just generates so much different repurposing of content. You add in something like ChatGPT, 
and a little bit of effort from a good producer, well, dang, man, you've got a content calendar for months or quarters or years right there. You know, you sit down and build out your list of ideas. You use chat GPT as a scripting for videos, repurpose those videos, the transcripts from the videos into blog content, and then take bits and pieces from those blogs, the little hot takes, the little, you know, the quotables, yeah. and use Lately.ai to push out quotables that drive traffic to whatever landing page you want. You're done. All of your content for 2023 is done in literally a couple of weeks of intentional work. Yeah. So that's kind of my headspace on stuff like ChatGPT. It's like, if you're ready to take action, oh man, it's exciting. Yep. If you're mediocre or subpar at your job, watch out because you're probably at risk for being replaced. Yeah. No, I, I like that. I thought, I thought about that too, is using it. And that was, I don't, I don't know if you felt Patrick at David. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, founder of PHP. But anyways, I follow him on LinkedIn and on YouTube a little bit, but he, he He's showed a great it. follow. Yeah, he is. He is. Uh, he has a video showing how to use it, like specifically. And what I learned from watching his videos, you had, like you just said, you got to be specific with what you're putting in there. So write it in this tone. Keep it to sixty words from an angry voice or whatever, from a southern voice. And it's pretty cool. I mean, so I was thinking, like with LinkedIn and like you said with the content piece, if you can say, "Hey, Chat GPT, put in a I want a seventy word." LinkedIn post that's going to be funny, but whatever to roofers, right? In your case, or, you know, for me, you know, some type of construction company. So I think it would be curious to play around on it more and see what kind of specifics it spits out. But uh, it's definitely intriguing. Yep. So. I love the disruption stuff because you can always tell the people that have fear based thinking, that have, you know, the scarcity mindset, that are sitting there going, what am I going to do when X happens? Because those kind of people are always going to, to see things as a threat. Uh, that kind of personality is always going to see innovation as a net negative yep. uh, because it requires them to step out of the status quo. Folks like you and I and the, most of the listeners to this podcast are seeing these kind of things as an opportunity uh, to get in front of the next thing, to improve our craft. And it's like, how can I use this next disruptor to become better at what I do, to, to better engage with my stakeholders and prospects. And uh, I'm excited that you're on the same, on the same boat, man. That's great. Yeah. Very cool. It, it seems like we're at uh, the end of a, a good episode. This feels like a good stopping point. What's the yeah. best way for people to get a, a hold of you? I, I know it's LinkedIn, uh, most yeah. likely. It's kind of where you want to connect, right? Yeah, that's, that's probably the best spot. And then on LinkedIn, you got my cell phone, I think, email. I got a website, micasalas.com. And that's it. Yeah. So I'm always open to chat with people. I get hit up by producers quite a bit, just looking for different uh, thoughts on things and, and happy to help if I have the time. So, Okay. Man, I, I love it. The, that willingness to help uh, is not a surprise at all. It seems like that is, is part of who you are at this point in your career. So um, awesome. And uh, man, thanks for being here. I think this was a powerful episode. We got into some really juicy stuff. Uh, you have a unique story uh, in our industry. I'm grateful that you told it here today. So he is Mike Asalas. He is uh, the leader of the Austin branch for the Christensen Group Insurance. And this has been another episode of the Agency Freedom Podcast. Make it a great day, boys and girls. We'll talk to you again real soon. Y'all take care. Thanks for listening to the Agency Freedom Podcast. Please subscribe to AFP on your favorite platform to get automatic updates with every new episode and help other people find us.
If you like what you hear, please drop us a review and tell the world what you like best. Most importantly, please share AFP with someone you know who is still in captivity. They'll thank you later. Visit our website at agencyfreedom.com to get access to exclusive content and announcements. Join our community on Facebook by typing in Agency Freedom in the search bar. Send your questions, comments, guest recommendations, and favorite grilling recipes to us at podcast at agencyfreedom.com. This is the Agency Freedom Podcast, where we help insurance professionals move from captivity to freedom. Until next time, let's go.